them. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll read in just a few moments a couple lengthy portions, both in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, the words will be in front of you on the screen. Also, um, please make sure you take one from up here on the table or downstairs at the visitor center as our gift to you. Welcome, welcome. A great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Matt, and the rest for leading us and taking our attention from all the craziness and the busyness, placing it on the Lord and on the Lord alone. Today, this Sunday, um, set apart from every other Sunday in the year, is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. A day that we commemorate um, the passing of Roe v. Wade, and we also remember literally the millions upon millions of uh, little babies that have been aborted. Um, in my earlier years of pastoral ministry, I remember it was on this particular day that I had written and preached what I would refer to as a fire-breathing message on... Um, the sanctity of human life on the fact that life begins at conception and that abortion is murder. And I thought I had just landed this thing with all the gusto that I could ever muster. And I was met in the back of the church by a young woman who in the most gracious and kind way said, Pastor, what about the women who have had an abortion. Is there not grace for them? And I just remember uh, being reduced and being reminded of God's amazing grace of forgiveness for any sin. And it has literally since that time changed my, um, my view of this day. Yes, we remember those who have been lost, but we also remember about God's amazing grace that is offered to anyone, any sin or any circumstance. It is that subject that we are able to address this morning, the subject of God's grace. How we talk about God's grace in 32 minutes, I have no idea. But we will do the best that we can. We'll read from his word, the only perfect part of any message in just a moment. Let's bow our heads first and just ask God to use this time uh, to speak to all of our hearts this morning. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do come before you and Lord, we just ask that all of our attention, all of our attention would be focused on you in the busyness and craziness, hecticness of a, a past week, another week to come. I thank you for every person that is here Lord, I thank you for your word that is open before us, and I would ask that you would speak. And Lord, at this, at, this, at this time, that you would allow me to be filled by your spirit, that, that you uh, would be the focus, you would be heard this morning, that all of our hearts would be opened. Lord, encouraged, hopefully, about this amazing grace that we see in your word, but also that it would captive, captivate our own hearts and it would also, Lord, um, direct 
direct our, our hearts and our minds to other people with the message of the gospel and the amazing gift that is given of your grace that forgives us as sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you choose to use us, um, that you build us up, you, you dust us off, you wash us, and we get to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. And God, my prayer is, is that that would be heard loud and clear this morning. I pray, Lord, for people that are here that are ensnared or caught in sin. May they be encouraged and reminded of the freedom of the forgiveness forever because of the work of Jesus. Father, for those that are sitting here that have been sinned against, that are hurting, God, I would ask that you would give them the ability to forgive others as they have been forgiven. Father, we plead with you now to please use this moment um, to take us another step closer to you in the journey you've called us to be on. We love you and thank you for loving us. We ask this in a strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, very, very quickly, um, we want to talk about the series, The Five Solas. We, we introduced them last week. Uh, what, are, what are these five solas that we talk about? Uh, by way of review, I reminded you last week that they are five theological summaries that kind of bubble to the surface. They emerge from the Protestant Reformation. They distinguish from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that together they constitute five foundational doctrines that unite all evangelical Christians to this day. They are sola scriptura by scripture alone. We looked at that last week. Today we look at sola gratia. Next week about sola fide, solus Christus, soli Deo Gloria. Remove any one of these, any one of these five pillars, foundational doctrines, and we cannot be on the same page when it comes to the doctrine of, of salvation or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please understand, I'm not, I'm not preaching this series in order to cause division. It is simply bringing, acknowledging the fact that there are theological differences that exist, and we must acknowledge that. There are not many ways to heaven, okay? Some people would say, well, if you're very sincere in your faith, whatever it is, whatever your view of God is, no. Okay, there's one way to heaven, that is by acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Understanding that his shed blood, his, his, his life that was given on your behalf and my behalf, paid the price, the wrath of God, that we put our trust and our faith in him, the only way to heaven. And we go back, what, 500 plus years ago, the reformers were men and women who were shaped by a book. It was this book right here, not in this form. And they, what, they looked at the book, they studied the book, they memorized this book, and they rediscovered essential Christian truths in this book that changed literally the course of history. Last week, we looked at sola scriptura, by scripture alone, which means what we believe is a church, so that everyone understands that we at Big Woods, we're not shy about this. We believe that this book, 66 books, 27 New Testament, 39 Old Testament, are verbally inspired. God breathed these words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 speaks about this. We believe that this word here is infallible. 
It is inerrant, it is perfect and powerful in every way. And we make it very, very clear that we believe that scriptures are always, always, always to be our primary source of authority. Everything else that you hear, a council that has met, a creed that has been established, a dream that you have received, God told me this, okay, at best is going to be secondary source to what the scriptures say. How does what you've heard match against the word of God? Scripture alone teaches everything that is necessary for our salvation And it is sufficient for all that God requires us to do and for what God requires us to be. It is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. Anything, anything, anything that comes across my desk, if it's a new minister idea, if it's a new direction, it must be based. How do we see that in the word of God? Now we build upon that with a second sola, we refer to sola gratia. You've turned in your Bibles to Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And I want you to follow along as I read two texts, Ephesians chapter 1, 2 through 10, and then chapter 2, 1 through 10. They're not, they're not too heavy for us, but there is a lot here. As I am reading, if you write in your Bibles, I encourage people to write in their Bibles. Circle or underline the word Grace. Every single time it comes up, take note of the the position, the placement, every sentence, every paragraph of this word grace as we read Ephesians chapter 1, 2 through 10 and 2, 1 through 10. Grace, there you go, you can write, you can circle, you can underline, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with 
Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift. I love that word, the gift of God. Not not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word of God. Sola gratia. It literally translates sola as Latin for what? If you stand up in front of others and you sing a solo, you're by yourself. Okay, sola is Latin word alone. Gratia is Latin for grace. I believe, and there are several different definitions. I believe the, the, the greatest simple definition for the word grace is, is simply unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Um, Jamin Roller defines grace as God's undeserved favor toward sinners. I think that helps us understand what this favor is. Undeserved, unmerited favor specifically directed toward us. Grace is the Greek word charis. Sola gratia is simply what? Acknowledging that the word of God, the Bible that we just read, teaches the totality of our salvation is a free gift of grace from God. Our salvation, what you and I have received, we are sinners. And yet God extends to us what? His gift to us. It's his grace. And it is what? It is everything. It is everything for a Christian. We sing about it. We did this morning. We sing about God's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing the hymn, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. We sing about wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? We, we think about grace. We talk to one another about grace. We are created by God's grace. We were chosen by God's grace. We were redeemed by God's grace. We are transformed. Old is put away and we become new creatures because of God's grace. We are alive today. You, you breathe air and your heart beats all because of God's grace. We, we write about this. All the time. We, we start our letters and we end our letters for more than 20 years. Every letter, every, every email that I sign, I conclude with, with much grace. Grace and peace or grace and love. It's always grace. Think about the letters in the New Testament. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear this all the time. The very last phrase. In all of the Bible, you go to the very end of Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 21. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. 
Amen. There's got to be something. There's got to be something to this word. There is little doubt. If you hang around here, you spend any time at Big Woods Bible Church, you will very quickly realize there's something about this word that continues to bubble up to the top. That it is a core basic belief of salvation from sin and the wrath of God. And it's all made possible by God's free gift to us, grace alone. A most important doctrine. If you introduce someone to Big Woods Bible Church, you direct them to our website. And we talked about this last week. And you, there's a little, little what, bigwoods.org. And you go to this tab and you want to learn about us. And, and, and there's this little, little thing you click on. This is what we believe right at the top. We begin with the word of God. We talked about that last week. We get to what's number four, that salvation is a gift of God's grace. This is on our website. This is for everyone to see. It's a gift of God's grace. It cannot be earned Wait a minute, this gift that is given, it, it cannot be earned. It, it, is, it is not deserved. I go on and I quote from our website, God forgives our sin and gives us eternal life when we trust Jesus as our Savior. We believe that the person who truly comes to faith in Christ is eternally saved and safe. This means what? In real time. Hold on to this. None of us, no one here, no one listening to this, can attribute anything to our own salvation. Let me say that again. You understand where we're going here with this? Like you, you shine up nice today and you came early and you like practiced to, to sing or you, you are involved with helping people open doors or you and I can attribute Nothing, none of us can attribute anything to our salvation. It is unmerited favor. We, we read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, not us, we have redemption. We are rescued through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now, let me tell you, this is totally foreign, totally foreign by way of thinking in our world today. Unmerited favor. You've heard, um, and I don't want to get burned on this, okay? Little bit of news recently, to my understanding, the government is shut down, but it's not really shut down. I don't quite understand this. Like, there's still border guards and there's still people that are on ships in seas. In the news, we hear a lot about this immigration reform. And there's this term that has surfaced up. This proposal is merit-based. Now, I do not want to get into the politics of this. I just want to simply talk about the idea of, of in our thinking today, everything is based on your own merits. Merit-based immigration basically means that you can immigrate. You can come into this amazing country, and it is amazing, if... You can prove the fact that you will be a benefit to our society. It makes sense in some respects. The idea is this, specifically and literally, if you have enough points. Now, doesn't America love to keep score? 
If you have enough points, it cannot be based on your race. It cannot be based on your religion because then you'd be a racist or xenophobic. So instead, what they've done is they've developed a merit-based system that is proposed that it's based on your education, it's based on your skills, and your language. You need at least a minimum of 30 points to even apply, and you cannot exceed the maximum or 100 points. If you have the right background, the right work experience, the right education, the right skill, then you got a good shot. Here it is, if you have a PhD, you get 15 points. If you have a master's degree, you get 10 points. If you have a bachelor's, it's five. If you can score over in 80 on the English test, then you get another 10 points and it adds up. Even if you're in the right age category, if you're 18 to 24, you get 10 points. If you're 25 to 32, you get eight points. 33 to 37, you get four points. You get the idea here, old people, you're just not worth it. Over 37 years old, you get zero points. 37 and above, you're old. The right background, what are you bringing? Like, what are you bringing with you? It actually talks about the fact if you have earned an Olympic medal or the Nobel Prize, it's going to help you get into this country. Think for a moment if heaven were like that. It's a dark, cold, rainy January Sunday, and you show up in church at the 8 o'clock service. You get two points. People in a 10.30 service, they only get one point. You guys get two. Now, just, just like, like totally foreign. Like This is normal. People are measured by this all day long. For you jocks that are out there, us old jocks, maybe, maybe there's another better way. And I was thinking about something. You could, you could go far with this. I played baseball. I love the sport of baseball. And, and, and there is what is referred to before someone gets drafted to play in, in professional baseball. They have a, a, a draft card, a scouting report, and it's based on five tools. Okay, it's based on your speed. It's based on your arm, whether or not you can hit for power, hit for average, or your fielding. And I thought for a minute, okay, what's the scouting report on Boga right now? What, what really are my chances to be drafted on June the 4th this year, really? And I was thinking about my own scouting report. That's right, throws right. 49 year old, slightly overweight, with below average speed, far below average speed. What are my chances? It's on the scorecard with a rebuilt shoulder, a 222, a 222 batting average. 30 years ago. Wendy and I were talking about this last night. That was 30 years ago. What are my chances on the notice? Says, oh, yeah, by the way, he can't hit the curveball. He's fun in dugout, but he could be a distraction to other people. Imagine June the 4th, 2018, later this spring, 
Detroit Tigers have the first pick. And, and they walk up to the podium. We select first overall pick, Reverend Timothy Boger. Like, what, what are the chances of me bringing anything to the plate? Zero. Zero. Nothing. I have no shot. Praise God. Let's step back for a moment. Praise God. The hope of the forgiveness of our sin and the hope of eternal life in heaven does not rest on my merits. For any one of us. I'm sorry, but the scouting report on every one of us trying to make heaven is pretty bleak. Yeah, every day she wakes up, she sins. Every day that, that, that he thinks, he thinks about his own arrogance and selfishness and pride. Every one of us fall short. Therefore, what? Paul picked up his pen and he began this letter to the Ephesians, just like the Holy Spirit speaks to you and I this morning. And he says this, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Matt read earlier in our worship time from by the pen of the Apostle John, and he says that we are given grace upon grace. People understand this this morning and hear me on this apart from the kindness of God, apart from the goodness and the mercy and the compassion of God, there is nothing in us, in our flesh, that we would ever seek Him. Nothing. Apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we would remain locked. We would remain in bondage of our own sin and in rebellion against God. We can't help but veer off the road. The Apostle Paul describes it in his own life and testimony in the book of, of Romans. In chapter 11, he says it like this in verses 5 and 6. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant that is chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be no longer grace. I don't know if you can explain it any more simple than that. Paul does a masterful job as the Holy Spirit speaks to him to write. It, it cannot be based on anything in Jesus. One is made right before God in Jesus and his work that was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb as he rose to life. What we are forgiven from Sin, according to his grace. You can't take anything away from that statement and you can't add anything to that statement. Or you will what? Distort, you'll nullify what is at the heart of biblical Christianity. That was the case 500 years ago. 1517, when this monk 
who had turned professor, Martin Luther, as he is studying what he's saying, you're like, you're adding to this. You can't add to this. And so he points what? Writes them down in Latin and nails these 95 points of discussion on the door of the church at Wittenberg igniting the Protestant revolution. Think people were adding onto what was already declared finished. When Christ, what, died on the cross, right before he died, he cried out, it is finished. That's all the reformers wanted to do. They wanted to uncover the full, pure value and truth of scripture. It's not, it's not grace and, it's not grace if, but it is grace and grace alone. Guy Waters writes this, and I quote, and this is important for us to understand. Among Protestants, there's a popular misunderstanding and misrepresentation of the Roman Catholic Church's teaching on grace. Sometimes it is said that Rome teaches that we are saved by works, but Protestants teach that we are saved by grace. He writes, this statement, common as it is, is wrong, and it's actually a slander against the Roman Catholic Church. Rome does not teach that one is saved by works apart from the grace of God. The Roman Catholics, in fact, teaches that one is saved by the grace of God. To what then did Rome object in the Reformers' teaching? Where does the line of difference between Rome and the Reformation lie? And he says this, and I quote, it lies in the single word sola, alone. The reformers maintain that the sinner is saved by the grace of God, his unmerited favor alone. This doctrine means that nothing the sinner does commends him to the grace of God. And that the sinner does not cooperate with God in order to merit his salvation. Salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign gift of God to the unworthy and the undeserving. See how it, it reverses our view that you have to like do something. God is drawing you unto himself. And he offers this to you. nothing you can do. Which means three things I want to give you very, very quickly that this whole idea of by grace alone means. What is that? What is that? Like hard time. Real time. Real life. Sola gratia means number one, what? That God gets the credit. Hold on to that. God gets the credit. God is the author of our salvation. He wrote the story. He alone gets the credit for it. God initiates the relationship, not in response to anything that is true about us, but what is true about him in response to his own character. We read earlier, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. See how the focus is all on the Lord, first and foremost. We were dead. We were drowning. We, we were absolutely destined. We were damned to hell for eternity. But God was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. The grace that you have been given, saved, raised us up and seated us at the heavenly places. So, so we understand here, number one, that God gets the credit. Number two, God's grace is not limited to any one kind of a person or group. 
I think we have to be reminded of that, that we're like, yeah, yeah we're the holy few. But wait a minute, God's, God's grace is not limited to any one kind of a person or a group. It comes from him. It's not the result of anything in us. Therefore, God's grace flows where he pleases, which means every single background, every single story, every single struggle. Yeah, with this person, yeah, but he, was, he actually did time in jail. Like, he's, he's beyond. Well, she actually went through with the abortion. No, 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 no. God's grace is not limited. It, it flows where he pleases. How, how good of God, how amazing is his grace that we can have forgiveness from sin through Jesus and it's made available to everyone regardless of race or skin color, clan or tribe or nation. Like there's not like, like God's grace he shed on me, it's only on us. No, therefore what? It motivates us. Because we have been recipients of this, it does something so that we tell others about this. I have received this gift. You wouldn't believe no one is more undeserving than me. And I'm going to share of this gift with you. Brings us to our third point. God's grace will change the way that you live your life. God's grace will change the way that you live your life. If you live your life exactly the same way before an understanding of God's grace, then apparently you've not received it. God's grace will change the way that you live your life. There's no good works that you can do in order to earn grace, in order to win heaven. But let me tell you this. When, when you are given grace... And you have received that, it will produce good works for his glory. Works aren't going to save you. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. But I tell you what, it will, it will allow you to live your life differently than you've ever lived before. Paul says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul writes to the church at Corinth says this in chapter 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, and Paul says this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, it's a motor that motivates us and moves us forward to live uniquely, differently. His name was Fiorella LaGuardia. You've probably heard of that name before. He was the 99th mayor of New York City. He, he was the mayor of New York during the darkest days of the Depression and into World War II from 1934 to 1945. This, this guy, he was five foot two inches tall. The, the New Yorkers loved him. They adored him. Fiorella means flower. He was five foot two. He always wore a little carnation in his lapel, in his jacket. And, and New Yorkers called him the little flower. And he would literally, he would jump on the back of a fire truck as it was speeding to a fire. That was the type of leader that he was. He would go and he would help fight fires. 
He would get into a, a police car to go on, on a raid. He wanted to be with the policeman. He would literally take entire orphanages. He would, he would pay for them himself and take, take, take orphans to ball games to go see the Yankees play. This is, this is the little flower. Story is told one bitterly cold night in January of 1935 that the mayor, Fiorella LaGuardia, turned up at night court which served the poorest ward in the city. LaGuardia actually dismissed the judge. He gave him the evening off and he took over the bench for himself. It says within a few moments that a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was now sick and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, your honor, the man told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the old woman and he pronounced a sentence and he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 fine or $10 in jail. But even as he was speaking, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket to take out a $10 bill and he put it inside his famous sombrero hat saying, here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to give everyone in the entire courtroom a fine for 50 cents living in a town where a person has to steal bread for her grandchildren in order to eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines. Sure enough, they passed the hat around the entire courtroom. And the woman was reported given $47.50. Bewildered woman literally received them with an understanding that she did not deserve this. All she had done was something that was wrong. And yet what? The judge paid for her. Not only paid for her, but then what? In a sense, lavishly rewarded her. Of the $47.50, 50 cents was from the store shopkeeper that had brought the charges in the first place. You understand here a little picture that we are that old, bewildered 